0: Welcome everybody, good to see you. My name is Tim Harris, I'm pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church, I'm the luckiest man alive. I love you all so much, I love this congregation, I love the privilege of being your pastor. Uh, every single Sunday, every single day of my life, uh, I wake up with you on my heart, you on my mind, and uh, uh, what, a blessing to, uh, what a blessing to be uh, connected together at Woodburn Baptist Church. If you're in the cafe, you're part of uh, my heart as well, I love you so much, thank you all for being a part of worship. Jonathan Cardwell, thank you for leading and, uh, and doing so with such a pure and passionate heart, God, God bless you, man. This room, though, right here, was alive and worshiped it. I loved it. Um, it's usually a bad sign when, when before I even preach for the first time on Sunday, I've already like sung my lungs out. Uh, but uh, my voice is already tired. It's Junior and and, uh, and Stephen, man, they get me going. Junior was just singing, just wailing, ah, and then I try to out sing him, ah, and then, and then uh it, uh, it, it escalates from there. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, we're the second week in a sermon series entitled Best Sermon Ever. Now, y'all know I'm not saying like my sermon is the best sermon ever. Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, and, and scholars say probably 25 minutes, and I can make this baby last five weeks, you know. So obviously, Jesus, uh, Jesus is a different kind of preacher. At the end of the sermon, they said that he preached with authority, which is something they'd never heard at any other time. Preacher, ever have that kind of authority? What Jesus brings is, is what only the Son of God can bring. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is talking about the, the kingdom of God, of course. He's talking about what it means to be one of his followers. He is the king, and he sits down on top of the mountain, and his followers come to him as subjects before the king. And he begins to give his, uh, you can see his uh, inaugural address as the king of the world, the king of all creation. Uh, Last week, we walked through the Beatitudes together and how he talked about his followers as salt and light. But today, we pick up, Jesus just continues to take this deeper and deeper and deeper. Obviously, when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, the question that's going to be raised is, how do you get in it? Uh, What does it take? What does it take to enter into the kingdom of God? Jesus has talked about the kind of people who are there, the kind of people who come under his reign, but, but... How exactly does one enter? How does one get in and become a part of the kingdom of God? That's going to be the first question. Now, for Jesus' original listeners, the answer to that question would always have something to do with their teachers, their tradition. In the Bible they're called the Pharisees and the, the listeners to Jesus would automatically think of the Pharisees as the ones who probably would represent the best and the brightest of the kingdom of God. They are the ones who knew the law, who taught the law. They're the ones who had the most to say about what it meant to be one of God's people. But, but it turns out, according to Jesus, being a part of his kingdom it has a whole lot more to do than with just what you say. It, it's gotta be more than just talk. And that takes us to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 17, right, right where we left off. Matthew 5, verse 17. Let's start right there. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I, I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But, but I warn you, Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Ouch. Verse 21. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But, but I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, You're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So, if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come offer your sacrifice to God. It's just always interesting how you can read that verse in church and nobody ever leaves. Isn't that amazing? We can read that verse in a room of 300 people and nobody needs to leave. When you're on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you'll be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you paid the last penny. You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But but, but I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his, say the word, heart's soaked. If your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. You've heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. You've also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne, and don't say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool, and don't say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Don't even say, I swear by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I want, anything beyond this is from the evil one. You've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Yeah, this is hard stuff. Are y'all still here? Are y'all still with me? You've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. <laughs> Are y'all still with me? I, I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for He gives His sunlight to both the evil and the good, and He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even ter- corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're only kind to your friends, how different are you from everyone else? Even pagans do that. I, you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. <clears throat> I don't even know where to start. When I mean, I got a sermon prepared, but something about the word of Jesus there just, just destroys me. Did y'all read that? When you measure your life up against what Jesus says here, his own teaching, and this is just the smallest part of Jesus, I'm just reading part of it, you all. When you measure your life there, how do you measure up? This is Jesus talking, and most people in this house, we call ourselves Christians, but we don't live this way. I mean, let's just be honest. We don't live this way. I read the part about if you have, if you're in, if, if you're in worshiping and you remember that you, that you've got a conflict with somebody, you stop in the middle and you leave and nobody leaves. Y'all, there's something wrong with us. There's something profoundly wrong that we can hear God's word and it never penetrates. We can say amen. We can sit through it. We can sleep through it, y'all. And that takes great skill. To sleep through something that ought to be tearing your heart out of your chest. This is Jesus speaking. These are red letters. He's talking about his people, but it doesn't sound much like us. Well, it didn't sound much like the Pharisees either. You sort of sucked to get the idea why they hated him. The religious people hated him, Jesus. We're kind of used to it. For us, anytime the Pharisees are mentioned in Scripture, we're accustomed to understanding that they're the bad guys. We're used to that. They're going to be you know, instrumental in killing Jesus later, and we get that, we understand that. So we're just sort of trained out of hand to dismiss them. They are always always the bad guys in scripture but you have to understand in Jesus's day nobody saw them as bad guys nobody Now Jesus in his teaching exposes their hypocrisy just like we can read this text together and automatically our hypocrisy is exposed but honestly hypocrites rarely think of themselves as hypocrites that they rarely do uh, and and the, the Pharisees did not see themselves as hypocrites as, at, at all. They were very serious and there were certain things they were very, very serious about. They could see the moral decay in the society around them and it disturbed them deeply. That they could see the world around them and how the world had no regard for God. And no regard for, for, for what God said was right and wrong. And, and that disturbed them. So they wanted to somehow turn the tide against the moral decline of society. And so they took a stand and, and they chose to stand on the law of God. Which sounds like the best place to stand. They wanted to come back to the Bible, back to the old covenant. And I'm talking about the scribes and Pharisees here. Their desire was to come back to the law and call everybody back to the law. And that desire was so intense, so serious. I mean, they didn't even wanna accidentally break a law. They didn't wanna accidentally disobey something God had said. So their philosophy was to sort of, what they called, build a fence around the law. In other words, if the law says one thing, thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not steal, they would add laws to the law and that way, you know, it was like building a fence. So if you didn't break these laws on the way to the big law, you'd never break the big law. The problem is, as time goes on, they lost the ability to tell the difference between their laws and God's law. The, this fence that they built, this this buffer zone of legalism that they constructed, they never really understood how they no longer were speaking for God at all. How they were no longer representing God's intentions for people at all. They lost touch with that. They no longer knew the difference between what they would say and what God would say. They were serious. And understand, when Jesus starts talking about the kingdom of heaven, the people in Jesus' day would be thinking about the Pharisees. They would be, in their minds, the good examples, the best examples. These guys were religious, very religious, and they tried hard. Nobody tried harder than the Pharisees. So so basically what you get in the Pharisees is the greatest example of what religion and trying really, really hard will get you. So as it turns out, how much will religion and trying really, really hard get you? How far will being religious and trying as hard as you can to be a good person, how far will that get you? Well, it turns out, not far at all. Not far enough. It, it turns out to be a disaster. Marge, you're going to have to change slides for me. The internet is out today. Uh, the point, I want to start with is: being religious and trying hard to do good will never make you right with God. Now, now, I, I know, I know. I'm preaching primarily to religious people who try really hard. But you have to recognize that being religious and trying really hard will never, ever make you right with God. This is what Jesus is saying when he is in this major point of his sermon. And he says, unless, I mean, I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never, ever enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness goes past theirs. And I remind you that these are the best examples you can find. Nobody tried harder than the Pharisees. And Jesus says, well, I don't care how hard they try. Unless you come out in a different place and they come out, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. I'm warning you. It's going to have to go past them. What's Jesus saying? Could we possibly be more religious than the Pharisees? No. So religion's not the answer. Can we possibly try harder than the Pharisees? Can anybody? I mean, we've talked about the Pharisees before. You know how some of these guys would actually wear blinders like a mule? They would wear blinders so that they wouldn't accidentally, you know, go down to Piggly Wiggly and look at a woman. They wore blinders. So as a result, I mean, these are Pharisees. They literally were known for walking into things like walls, you know, parked cars, mailboxes. They they're so intent on not looking at a woman and lusting that they, they, they walk into stuff. Nobody tried harder than the Pharisees to be righteous. Nobody tried harder to be good people. Jesus says, unless you do better than them, you're never gonna make the kingdom of heaven. Is he telling us that we gotta try harder than that? That's not what he's saying at all. Maybe religion and trying hard can never get you into the kingdom of heaven. Maybe there's something else. Notice what Jesus says. You you cannot understand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. So bottom line, help me out, Margie. The bottom line is the, the law of the Old Testament, the, the, the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments and all of the other traditions added on top. Those religious rules of the Old Testament were never meant to save you. They were never meant to save anybody. God didn't drag Moses up on top of the mountain with fire and thunder and give him those Ten Commandments so that he could go down and share the plan of salvation with the people. The Ten Commandments were never a plan of salvation. There wasn't salvation in the law. The law was never intended to save people. This is just scripture. This is just what the Bible says itself. Never meant to save you. Instead, those rules were meant to show you your need for a savior. This is what Paul says all through the New Testament. That law was never intended to save you because it couldn't save you. It doesn't have power. There is no power in rules. The only thing that the law could do, the only thing that the rules could do is govern your behavior, but good behavior doesn't get you into the kingdom of heaven because you can't ever be good enough. The rules were never meant to to necessarily save you. They're just meant to show you your need for a savior, to demonstrate for you that you could never do it. That's why Jesus points at the Pharisees. who try harder than anybody and say, you're somehow going to have to find righteousness that's better than theirs. Better than what you can do by trying hard. Better than what you can do by being very, very, very religious. You're going to have to find a different kind of righteousness somewhere, Jesus says. Because it's not going to be like the Pharisees. Not at all. The bottom line is, Margie, help me. The bottom line is, your problem, It it is not a behavior problem. It's a heart problem. It's not a behavior problem. It's a heart problem. Notice how Jesus does. Notice this. First off, you've got to understand the radical, radical way he preaches here. First off, he starts off in verse 21. You've heard it said you must not murder. Well, yeah, we have heard that. Who said that? Well, God. God. Who said, I mean, Jesus said, you heard it said that you shall not murder. I mean, Jesus throws that out like, you heard it said that it could rain this afternoon. I I mean, Jesus said, you heard it said that thou shalt not murder. But I say, what? I mean, but I say? You quote something that God himself says and then you add to that? Who gets to add to what God said? Well, God. Understand? This is part of why at the end of the sermon they say, wow, he, he preaches with what? Authority. Nobody else can do this. Nobody else gets to say, you know, remember, when, remember when God said this? Well, now I'm saying this. So, okay, Only God gets to add to what God said. Only God gets to explain what God has said. So at this point, you really begin to see the divine authority of Jesus. You've heard it said, thou shalt not murder, but, but I say this, even if you have anger in your heart. <sighs> Notice this pattern of teaching. And honestly, I'm counting on small groups to take you deeper and deeper into the, I mean, we could preach an entire sermon on any, any two verses in this whole passage. You know, we could go all day long on anger. We could go a week on sexuality and marriage and divorce. We could go forever on, on settling conflict. I just want you to see the pattern here, the pattern of Jesus saying, you've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but, but I say. And then in, in that pattern, what does Jesus do? Every single time, he takes that rule about behavior and he shifts the emphasis deeper. It's not just the behavior. It's not just we're not killing people. You can go through your life and never kill anybody and still have a murderous heart. You ever had anybody just kill you by looking at you? Yeah. you? ever And you ever tried to kill anybody by looking at them? Yeah. I, I've got this phobia. Y'all know me. Uh, I'm scared of clowns, Santa Claus, the tooth fairy, um, and Big Red. Like Big Red creeps me out. I don't care. I don't care that he is in the world. I don't care the ball game that he comes and walks around. Just don't come walk around me. You know, so last night at a wedding, Big Red came Now this is a very large tent with probably 50 tables out there And I'm just thinking Big Red can just entertain the people over there Who love him, I don't want him over here But where does Big Red come? My table So I just looked at him like this You know, like he's clowning He got a plate like he's eating He got a fork and like looked at me with those big eyes I'm just looking at him like because i was not going to encourage him i want him to think we were enjoying this at all i wasn't ugly i just looked at him like didn't crack a smile you know how you can do that you know i wasn't really saying die big red die big red but you know how sometimes you look at people like you know i don't care yeah it's it's the heart Jesus keeps shifting it right back to the heart. You can be as faithful as you could ever be to your spouse and have a very, very unfaithful heart. The sin in you, it goes deeper. It goes deeper than you've ever wanted to admit. Your problem is not primarily a behavior problem. It is a heart problem. It's deeper. One summer, hot, hot summer day, Uh, I was, I don't know how old I was, my sister's three years older than me, and she was probably 14, 15, so I'm probably 10, 11, my sister's 14 or 15, and it's one of those days, y'all ever have parents, Uh, my mama decided that her kids were lazy and no good, and that we were spending the whole summer, you know, watching a Price is Right, which we were, I mean, it's what summer's for, but my mother decided that her kids were lazy and that we should do some work around here, so mom got us up, got our sorry behinds out of bed and said to get out into the garden and dig potatoes okay redneck family y'all get that right so so we're out to dig potatoes okay well i'm a i'm just kind of a dumb kid and i'm just okay you know i tend not to try to you know fight the man but my sister was a you know fight the man kind of person my sister in this in this part of her life she never came out of her room like ever and there 's summer, so there 's i mean she doesn 't come out of her room now she sits inside her room like like, like twenty four hours a day with her hair perfectly done and this is back into charlie 's Charlie's angels days, so my sister had like fair Fawcett hair. You know, and so she would sit in a rocking chair and listen to the radio and talk on the phone nonstop, like twenty four hours a day. You could hear my sister just blah you know, talking on the phone and with fair fawcett hair, you know. And she's always completely dressed, but she never left her room except to go to school when school was in, and like go out on dates with like just you know hoodlum boys, and so. My sister, tearing her out of her room was like, was like you know, going after like, a, like a, a, a mad hedgehog, you know, trying to drag it out of its hole. My sister comes out of that room fighting. But she goes, and we go. I mean, children, obey your parents. We all go. My sister and I go to the garden. My sister is way overdressed and overdone for the garden. I'll tell you that. You know, she did not plan to dig potatoes. So she's mad and she mouths. Y'all, y'all know my sister Tracy? You know, somewhere she's mad and mouthing right now. That's just her. She's just mad and mouthing about our parents and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, we go out. Y'all, you know, that year... Our garden, my daddy's garden was beautiful. We had potato plants like this tall and just big bushes. And and I know the potato plants, they have the potato bugs on them. And so we go out with a pitchfork and, and, and two big buckets to dig potatoes. My sister's mad as fire. So so we put the fork in the dirt and turn, turn over the first plant. Yeah, you know, there's not a single potato, not one potato under that potato plant. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, is this the green beans? I mean, you know, there's not a single potato. So my sister, you know, throws a bucket, I'm done. You know, I hate this, you know, and it's just like, no. So I do it again, I turn it over. Um, There's nothing. Like there's not a single potato anywhere in that garden. So we start going down the road, turning over every plant. There's not a single potato. I mean, these are giant, beautiful bushes, but no potatoes. So my sister throws a bucket, boom, and she goes back to the house. You know, and she's going up. So I'm gonna go tell mama. So you go tell mama. So I'm staying out here. So Tracy goes up, goes and tells mama. You can hear mama and Tracy. You know, rah, going on. So then Tracy comes back to the garden. mass fire. Because what did my mama say? Get back out there in that garden. Don't you come back without potatoes. So, oh no, my sister is so mad now. She is so mad. So we're just, yeah, it's awful. We're digging when we're digging, there are no potatoes. So we dig forever. And then finally, my sister nominates me to go. So I go back to the house, say, Mom, there are no, no potatoes. And now my mom is so mad now because her kids are lazy and they're also liars in her mind. You know? She said, get back out there. I don't want to see you back, and do not come back in this house without potatoes. So I go back to the garden, y'all. Now I'm crying. <laughs> I mean, it's hopeless. So my sister and I, we go out. We, we just sit on the buckets in the dirt and just cry. <laughs> Cause y'all, you gotta understand, there are no potatoes, and our mother's crazy. Like, don't come back. And we're like, you know, there are no potatoes, so we're just just sitting out there, just crying and crying. I mean, cars going by. I mean, somebody should call social services, y'all. We're just, i right, just crying. So finally, my sister says, "I'm done." I'm done, I don't care what she does to me, I'm done. So she gets her bucket gun, I do too. I mean, y'all were done. There aren't any potatoes. I don't know what our parents are gonna do to us, but there are no potatoes. So, so we just go back to the house, we walk in the house, our mom looks back, she looks at us with fire in her eyes. And she says, when your father comes home, he will go to the garden. And if he finds even a single potato, you don't even wanna know what's gonna happen to you two kids. I mean, my mom's just, you know. Jason's like, fine, fine, but she doesn't care. I'm afraid. You know, but my sister, fine, you know, kill me. Anyway, y'all, yeah, totally true story. So that afternoon, my dad comes home. I can hear my mom and dad talking, you know, in the, you know, in the kitchen about, you know, us. And, and then my dad goes out to the garden. I'm like, our house is silent while well, my dad is gone. But I can see my dad out the window digging, digging nothing. He takes a fork, he starts digging, he scratches his head, you know? Because my dad is like a farmer who plants by the moon. You know I mean? He, he thinks he knows what he's doing. Yeah, My dad dug, and I, I think he would have gone and bought potatoes if he could have. He came back to the house. They never said a word to us. To this day, we have never discussed the great potato famine in 1977 in the Harris house, and we have never... We don't we don't we don't discuss that. My parents great humility. I mean Don Harris, I mean there was not a single potato anywhere in that garden. And it wasn't that we weren't digging deep enough. And it wasn't that we weren't it was not that their kids were lazy, y'all. They just weren't there. And so when Jesus says, your righteousness is going to have to be much better than the righteousness of the Pharisees and scribes, he understands fully, there is no righteousness in there. It's not that the Pharisees didn't try hard, work hard. It's not that they didn't dig deeply enough to find the goodness in their hearts. There is no goodness in our hearts. You don't have righteousness. I don't have any either. And so Jesus is not foolish enough to think that that really what you just need to do is go back and try harder You need to turn over a new leaf You you need to somehow, you know lose the weight and become a better person. Maybe a new hairstyle will help you No, no, no nothing you do is gonna help you. It's not in you and jesus knows that There's no righteousness in you not gonna dig deeper It's not there. As deep as you go, sin is ingrained even more deeply still. That's what's in our hearts, the anger, the lust, that inability to forgive people. That's what's in us. Dig as deep as you want. You'll just keep coming back with that. Dallas Willard has an amazing quote in, in a book called The Divine Conspiracy. This is what he says. To succeed in keeping the law, one must aim at something other and something more. You get that? To succeed in keeping the law, one must aim at something other and something more. In other words, you'll never keep the law by trying to keep the law. You're never going to be a better person by trying to be a better person. You're never, ever going to keep all the rules just by keeping all the rules. you got to aim at something other and something more. One must aim to become the kind of person from whom deeds of the law naturally flow. Become the kind of person... (laughs) That's transformation language there, in other words, he said the only the only real hope for you, Tim Harris is you you got to become a different person. I mean y'all this is the only person I got I and mean, this is who I am. The only answer is to become a different person that that's transformation. And that starts with the heart. We try working on our behavior all the time, y'all. Aren't we all always trying to, to be more productive, trying to be you know, better people, trying to eat better, trying to exercise, trying to be a better mom, better dad, better kid? I mean, we're we always working on behavior, but somehow we continue to be the same people, the same person. Nothing ever changes because nothing ever changes because it's not a behavior problem. It's a heart problem. And the transformation that has to happen, we can't affect. We don't have that power. And the power is not in the law either. It's just not there. It's it's not in the law. It's not in the rules. It's not in the religion. It's only in the power of Jesus himself. And this is what the scriptures say. Help me out, Margie, one more verse. This is from Romans chapter 5, verse 18. This is what Paul says. Christ, one act of righteousness... One act of righteousness. What is Jesus's, Jesus' whole life was righteousness. Jesus is righteousness. But when Paul says Christ one act of righteousness, what's he talking about? Yeah, the cross, his death on the cross. Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Christ's one act of righteousness, in other words, he knows that we can't do it. He knows it's not in us and he's not expecting it to come from us. That's not the plan of salvation. The plan of salvation is not just that we get all of the rules down and then we live by the rules and we become better people and therefore fit for the kingdom. We'll never be fit for the kingdom if it's up to us being better people. No. And that's not what Jesus is teaching here either. There's nowhere saying you just got to try harder, do more. He's just simply saying, you've got to surrender. Christ, one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Be you perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Does he really think perfection is in us? Of course not perfection is in him the righteousness is in him he's the one who transforms us who who changes us so jesus starts talking about the kingdom of heaven and and the first question in everybody's mind is how how do you enter the kingdom of heaven and the answer's always been well by the law By the law, by keeping the law. And the only people who seem very serious about that, Jesus says it turns out they're not serious enough either. They're going about it the wrong way. They keep thinking they'll dig and find righteousness in them. It's just not there. It's not in you either. Do you want to come into the kingdom? Then you must surrender your life to the king. I didn't say surrender your behavior to the king. That that too, but it doesn't start with behavior. It's the heart. You, You surrender your heart. That the salvation that he brings, it works from the inside out. Your heart is the problem. Your heart is the obstacle. Your heart is where the change begins brothers and sisters, we read the teachings of Jesus and it's like holding up a mirror to our faces and I, for one, don't like what I see in me. My only hope is for Jesus himself to change me, my heart, from the inside out. But pray with me. Jesus, I don't know people who try harder than Woodburn people. We work hard. We try hard to be good people. We walk in this church and we light up like Christmas trees, Lord. I mean, we come alive on Sunday. We are religious and we take our religion seriously and we are good people. We're good neighbors. The storm comes through. We we fire up the chainsaws. We start cooking and baking and cleaning. Lord, we know how to do religious deeds. We know how to do good deeds. And Lord, our goodness, our ability to, to walk in the religious ways, Lord, that can confuse us. We can do so many good things in public That we begin to think that privately We must be some sort of good people Uh, Our behavior is so impressive to the world That we begin to forget that our hearts Full of sin Full of desire, full of lust Full of anger, full of greed Lord, we never ever actually go out and kill people But if looks, could kill God nobody else sees what you see people look on the outside and and we manage to uh, put on a good outside but you're looking at our hearts god help us our hearts are hard we can hear your word and it can just simply run off the hard pan of our hearts lord it doesn't penetrate it doesn't change a thing we can hear your teaching about conflict and revenge and forgiveness and lust. We listen, get through it, walk right out, and we live the same old lives, Lord. We talk a lot about heaven, but Lord, we live like hell, and we simply never, ever allow ourselves to see that truth. We've got a kind of righteousness. It comes from ourselves, it's from just, you know, trying to be good people, but Lord, you know our hearts. So, Lord, today, let your word come to life, penetrate our hearts. Lord, the Pharisees were serious about it, Lord, but going about it all the wrong way, Lord, they wanted to come into the kingdom, but they wanted to do it without any kind of relationship with the king. Lord, today, help us to uh, give up any idea that, that it's going to come from the goodness in us, Lord. to come to you find the only righteousness we'll ever know let that righteousness lord begin to go to work in us changing us transforming us from the inside out god bless us help us we really do long to live as your people help us to see the truth confess the truth surrender to the truth walk in the truth the truth who is jesus in whose name we pray